The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. So, I always have to like break the scheme a little bit. Pastor always goes uh, book by book straight through. Um, and then he always tells me, just kind of do whatever you want. So, I always try to find something kind of different, a way that we can look at Scripture, something that you're kind of not maybe used to. Or I like to try to teach you something. Last time, I think I was in... Um, Jeremiah, I think I was, maybe Isaiah, Jeremiah, and I told you a little bit about how to read a book, a book of prophecy and a, a prophet, right? I told you a little bit about how you got to understand the context and how you got to understand a little bit of what's going on culturally, uh, historically, so that you can get a good understanding of uh, how to apply the things that are being spoken about to your life. And so, uh, actually, this last Saturday... We uh, had the missions training class, which was a blessing, Um, and I encourage you guys, if you haven't listened to it, if you didn't make it, really listen to it, because we go into some really good, solid things that that will not only help you if you want to be a missionary, but just how to be a solid Christian. One of those big things that we covered was uh, culture, and understanding how culture uh, interacts and how we need to be understanding of different cultures to be able to minister effectively. I know. I'm all over the place right now. I promise. I'm going to bring it back down. I'm going to, I'm going to make it make sense. I promise. So uh, it's necessary when—so the four Gospels, right? We know that they each represent Jesus in a, in a very specific way. I talked about that last time I was here, too. Do we remember the four ways that it represents Jesus— No? I'll give you a hint. Book of John, it makes him the Son of God. That's right. It represents him as the Son of God. You see all the miracles and the power. You see the conversations between him and the Father. Then you have the book of Mark, which shows him as the servant, as the suffering servant. You see him, uh, you see the verse that says, The Son of Man came not to uh, serve, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then you get to the book of Luke, which shows him as the Son of Man, that he was just a man, that he got tired, that he got weary, that there were times when he hungered, there was times when he got a little frustrated in the temple. He was just a man. And then we have the book of Matthew, which showed him as what? Do we remember? Someone knows? Showed him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. It showed him as the the coming Messiah for the Jewish people. And so it's necessary. uh, you, You will be able to glean so much more if you are able to put on a Jewish mindset, understand Jewish culture, And then as you understand Jewish culture, read the book of Matthew, and you'll begin to see all kinds of little cultural nuggets start falling out. And as you see those little cultural nuggets fall out, you find this fresh and amazing way to apply these verses to your life. And so, uh, unfortunately, I've got nothing new for you tonight. We're going to go over some verses that you've probably heard of, that you've probably read before. But what I'm going to do is give you a little crash course in Jewish history, Jewish culture, so that when we go to some of these verses, you're going to be like, whoa, okay, that was cool. So I'm, I'm hoping to get a few aha moments tonight. So, like, help me out. Just do that, even if it's not real. There we go. Okay, I appreciate that. All right. You guys are good. I appreciate you for that. All right. So, 
<laughs> you guys are the worst. All right, here we go. So, love you. I love you guys. I really do, man. I, I'm so blessed when I get to come up here and share and, and just ramble on. Thank you guys. All right. So, uh, but again, like always in my studies, I need you guys to have your Bibles. You guys got your Bibles with you? This is going to keep you awake. I know it's hot. I'm going to be sweating and spraying, but I just need you to stay with me here, all right? So get your Bibles out. Keep it real close. We're going to be going to different scriptures, different verses. We're going to be all over this thing tonight. But that's the way it should be, right? We read our Bibles. Amen. All right. And I always do this. I just go on. Disclaimer. Here's a disclaimer. I'm not a Jewish scholar. If If I flub any of this stuff up, Let's talk in love after the service. You can straighten me out, all right? But I did my best for you guys. So let's pray one more time. Is that? Oh, no, no, no. I like to do the prayer thing. So you guys remember what I do? Pair up. Pray with someone next to you. If you got three, that's cool. Pray together. Pray for me. Pray for the word. Pray for Liam. Pray for pastor. Uh, someone pray for a minute. Next person pray for a minute. Once all the rumbling kind of chatters down, I'll pray and get us started, okay? Can we do that? Is, is it cool if we talk to one another? That's cool, all right? Go ahead, let's start praying. And so, Lord, we, we want to hear your word. We want to hear you speak. We don't want anything from me. I, God, please set me aside that your people would hear you speak tonight. I pray that truth, that verses, that things that they've seen before would... Be uh, reawakened, Lord. That something that they've read a million times would, would, would touch on something deep tonight. God, that your word, your living and powerful and sharp and divisive and amazingly transformative word would reach the hearts of your people. Please, Lord, speak to your people. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's start with the life of a young Jewish boy. All right? So, uh, a young Jewish boy's life was uh, divided up into different times. So, from ages zero to five, uh, it was the father's job to teach the young children basic biblical, basic concept of the law. So if you guys will go with me to Deuteronomy 6, 1, 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. For you good Bible guys, you'll know that this is where the Shema is located. Can I get an amen when we're there? No one's there? Amen. Okay, all right. (laughs) All right, I'm going to start reading. Deuteronomy 6. Verses 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you were crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and your children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. 
This is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you talk along the road, when you lie down and when you, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So this is, this is basically what a, a, a young Jewish child would be living every day of his life. It was the parent's job to begin to unofficially instruct him in the law. He would uh, begin to, they would begin to recite scripture. They would begin to teach them about certain ritual cleansings and the temple and all of these things. They would begin to give them a, a very basic groundwork of how the law worked and what exactly it was for. And this is uh, from these verses here is where have you, how many of you guys have actually been to Israel? Anybody? Did you guys ever see the Jews with the phylacteries, the, 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 the verses tied on their foreheads, the little boxes, and then some would be tied on, I think it's their right hand. Ooh, it was on their right hand so that when they crossed their arms, the word of God would be near to their heart. Then it would also be tied, I believe, on their left shoulder. I don't know. I'm not a Jew. But yeah, this is the basic idea. So all of this comes from uh, these verses right here. Along with that, how many of you guys have Jewish uh, friends? Have you guys ever been to their houses and seen little, uh, little um, scrolls on the, on the fronts of their doorposts? Those are called uh, mezuzah. It's actually a, a Jewish custom that comes from these verses right here. What it is, is it's the Shema. It's these, uh, verse 4, actually written by a scribe, by a certified official Jewish scribe. Uh, they put them on the door, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. But basically, all these customs, all these things were taught to the children from ages 0 to 5. Ages 5 to 10, this is when you began hearing the Mishnah. I know. I don't even know. That's crazy. The Mishnah. This is basically the interpretations or the oral traditions of the written law. So basically, how many commandments were there in the beginning? How many? What? How many commandments were there that God gave Moses? Oh my goodness, I got scared for a second. So basically, there were ten commandments, and the Jews decided that there needed to be interpretations of those Ten Commandments because, yeah, it said, honor your father and your mother, but what does that exactly mean? So they would say things like, well, you had to do this, and you couldn't do this, and you can't speak a word above a certain time to your parents, all these kinds of things. That's where you also get all of the, the rituals and the traditions of the Pharisees, uh, how they would tithe a tenth of everything. All of these things came out of the Mishnah, the Jews turned 10 commandments into 613 commandments and precepts that you were supposed to follow. All of this is important, and we'll get there, I promise. So uh, they were to loosely learn these things. They weren't bound to obey these things yet. But then we get to ages 11, 12, and 13. This is when, do you, does anybody know what's special in a boy's or a girl's age at around 13? Bar mitzvah, that's exactly, oh, you guys already know all this stuff, all right. So the bar mitzvah, do we know what that is exactly? Someone got it? 
That's right. It's a passage into manhood. But what's the only thing that's important to a Jew? The law. So what it is, is specifically the boy who is a boy, no longer being a boy, but becoming a man. And he is now accountable for the law. It's very common at the bar mitzvah that the parents would say a prayer and that they would thank the Lord that they no longer have to bear the sins of their child. Pretty crazy, right? I, I'm, I don't, yeah, we, we won't go into that. So the bar mitzvah and then girls would have bat mitzvahs. Did you guys know that girls had bat mitzvahs? Yeah? Okay, cool. All right. So uh, usually the bar mitzvah would happen on the boy's first uh, Sabbath, on the first rest day of the week. And it would also at that point be necessary that, I know this is tons of information, but I promise it's good. You you're going to see it. So it is also necessary that immediately following the bar mitzvah, the boy goes to his first Passover. That's huge. And we're going to see why in just a second. I know I keep saying that, but I mean it. So by this age, in that three-year age, 11 to 12, 13, the boys will have begun to memorize the whole book of the law, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law. Who can name the first five books of the law? Sing the song if you have to. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, no, right? Okay, all right. So they would memorize the first five books of the law. This is how important this was to their culture. The law was everything to a Jewish boy. 13 years spent memorizing scripture and verse and, and ordinances and traditions and rules. This was everything for them. They would go to school at the morning time and they would be let out about midday after about six, eight, six to eight hours. Okay? Age 12 to 15, give or take whatever age the bar mitzvah happened at, the official studying of the Talmud, which is uh, another extension of, the, of the, the precepts of how to interpret the law. Um, this is when the boys would usually begin to start formulating questions and opinions and uh, interpretations of the law. So instead of just saying, obey thy mother and father, it would, or, or honor thy mother and father was the commandment, they would read all of the precepts and then they would begin to formulate their own ideas like, one should obey his mother and father for the good of the nation. Things like that. They would begin to question and think and reason the law by themselves. This is age 15. So for 15 years, 15 years, these kids are drilled over and over and over the law, the traditions, the prophets, and the customs of their people. So now, from age 15... 12 to 15, there's a fork in the road. You either get not chosen by a rabbi to study under him, which we won't go into too much tonight. Jesus took this road. He chose not to study under a rabbi. We won't go too much into that. But what we will focus on tonight is what happens if you do get chosen to study under a rabbi. All right? So now, after all that, we got a little more culture to get into. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. So here we go. So for a young Jewish boy, the first 15 years of life are all about the law, all about learning. What is the most glorious occupation that an American could aspire to? Just name it. Call it out. 
What is it? Ooh, look at the look at the spiritual guy say pastor. Ooh, this guy. Doctor. Doctor's a big one, right? Everybody wants to be a doctor. What lawyer? Lawyer, that's a big one. So for a Jew, guess what it was? You wanted to be a rabbi. That was like the pinnacle. That was the height of anything that you could attain to, to be a teacher of the law. So during that age 13 to 15 time, as you're formulating these questions, rabbis would be popping in and out. People would begin to hear of you. And uh, they would begin to make decisions on whether they thought you were worthy enough to study under them. They would kind of test you. Three, two years of testing, just kind of, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And so, if you didn't get chosen, well, you're just, you got to go find a trade. You got to figure something out. But if you did impress the rabbi, the rabbi, and you were chosen, you were allowed to join something called his... Oh, did I give you guys the, the title of this? It's not important. Okay. You were able to become one of his Talmud. I want you to write that down. Talmud. It's a very important word. You know what the, the word Talmud means in English? It means disciple. You were allowed to become his disciple. This whole idea of discipleship and master and headship is a, is a Jewish custom is a Jewish cultural thing. And so, uh, you guys go with me to um, Luke 2, 41 through 47. Remember I told you a little bit about that, that testing time where they were kind of going to see if a kid was good enough or, or not? This is our first kind of little nugget that we can pull out of if we understand the culture. So go with me to Luke 2, 41 to 47. We'll see if all the stuff I'm talking about is true. Luke 2. to Guys ready? I'm going to read it. Here we go. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover when he was how old? He was 12 years old. That sounds right about that bar mitzvah time, right? When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast. This was most likely his first Passover. This was his first feast after, after he had just had his bar mitzvah. This is Jesus. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, because they would go to Jerusalem for, to the temple for the feast, and then they would go back home, uh, While his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it, thinking he was with them, but they were, they were unaware of it, thinking, oh wait, my bad, thinking he was in their company. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him and among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts doing what? Sitting among the teachers rabbis, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So you would read through that and you would just say, well, Jesus was just chilling in the temple asking questions. But what's actually happening is here is Jesus, from the moment that he is able to, now begins this process of possibly getting interviewed by rabbis. This is what's going on here. So he's answering all these questions, and these, all these rabbis, they're like, 
they're chomping at the bit. They're like, this guy's good. I want this guy. He's, he could be my disciple. This guy could be my disciple. Again, if you were found worthy, if a rabbi said, yes, you can follow me, they would, they would, they would put it that specific way. And this is, again, where we're going to find a, a really special little nugget. They would say, you, you would be asking all these rabbis, hey, what can, will you teach me? Will you teach me? Will you teach me? Will you teach me? And the hope is that one of those rabbis would say what to you? Follow me. Follow me. What we think is a totally Christian idea is actually a deeply Jewish cultural thing. Imagine this. 15 years of your life was dedicated to learning the law and and all the, the pride that your mother had for you was hoping that you would be something. That you could be that you could be something special, that you could be a rabbi, a teacher of the law. Now, when you look at a guy like Simon, who was a fisherman, do you think that he was chosen? He wasn't chosen. He probably had to go into his own trade, probably went into the trade of his father. Think about um it was the ta- Matthew, right? The book of Matthew. Why would Matthew care to talk about and use the word specifically, follow me? Because these men themselves had lost all hope. They were men who were off into their careers. They weren't chosen. They weren't elected. They weren't special. All that time in their life was a waste. It was a wash. No rabbi chose them. And then all of a sudden... Jesus comes to them, and what does he say? He says, you, follow me. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, they didn't even ask him. The rabbi went to them without asking, and he said, I find you special. I find value in you. I want you to follow me. This is deeply cultural. And, and what does that do for us? Let, let's put it to us. None of us were chosen. None of us were special. None of us had anything to offer to God. None of us could have ever made it into the top schools. None of us could have ever done anything of of true eternal value for God. And yet God himself came down and in this very moment stands and says, Will you follow me? Will you follow me? I I don't care what you've, what your past is. I don't care what they told you. I don't care about all that stuff. All I care about is, will you follow me now? I, I, I find hope in, in, in understanding the culture and understanding just how big of a deal that was because it's like, that's all that those people could, all I ever wanted was to just be chosen. All I ever wanted was to feel special. And, and even though all my jacked up decisions messed all that up, God still came to me. He found me. And he says, you, follow me. Let's go. I I think there's hope for you still. Let's talk a little bit about what what it meant to follow a rabbi. What do you think that meant? Think about it. I want you to think about it. I don't want to force feed you stuff. I want you to think. What do you think that that would mean? That's huge. Sacrifice. 
What is that? Honor for the family. But very specifically, if you were going to get called by a rabbi to do whatever he wanted to do, don't you think you were probably going to have to leave your family? Maybe, right? So why don't you go to, um, let's go to Luke 9, 59 through 61. I want to show you how understanding culture brings scripture to life. Luke 9, 59 through 61. It was expected that a disciple of a rabbi would leave his family because he would go wherever the rabbi went no matter what. Right? Nine. Where are we at? 59 through 61 says this. He said to another man, uh uh-oh, here's that word again, follow me. You want to be my disciple? Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, First, let me go bury my father. And he said, then Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You think, dude, Jesus, that's jacked up, man. That's messed up. He just wants to go bury his father. That's messed up. Why you got to be like that? If you understand the culture, if you understand what was fully going on here, Jesus, a master teacher, was telling someone, I choose you. Let's go. Follow me. And this guy's like, nah, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm not, a, I don't know. Let me, let me go take care of some stuff and, and then I'll follow you. Is that, does that work? That's not how this works. When he says follow, you follow. Let's apply it to us. Has Jesus called you to follow him? What stuff is stopping you from obeying that call? He's saying follow me into I'm just going to use missions into ministry, into steps of faith, into open doors, into things you've never done before, onto, onto waters that you've never been to before. He's calling you. And what is it that you're putting before the call of God upon your life? Ask that question today. It can be anything. Things that aren't necessarily bad things. But if it is coming before the call of the master to follow him, then it's sin. Maybe, maybe that's a strong word. No, I'm going to say that. If it's anything that is stopping you from following fully and completely after God's call upon your life, then it's sin. And you need to bring that into subjection and to the authority of Christ. Let's keep going. The, a, a huge part of this was about the, 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 the way that they would actually put it is this. When you chose to follow a rabbi, you no longer existed. Basically, he would have his little, they're called Talmidim. That's his group of disciples. So there's Talmid, singular. Talmidim is like plural. So imagine a bunch of little like baby ducks, little chicks, walking around following the mama duck. That's what they would do all around Jerusalem. Even today, you see this. Rabbis with their little poitos following them. All around. That's, the pro- that's what's happening. And what it literally meant is that disciple lost himself. He no longer existed. All of his theology, all of the things he thought, all of that stuff that he reasoned, gone now. You know who you are now? You're your rabbi. You're to be just like him in every way. Cultural, right? That's a cultural thing. Now, how does that apply to us and the call of Christ upon our lives? Did you answer the call and say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you? 
Well, do you still look like you? If you still look like you, then there's something wrong. Because you should look like Christ. Because the way you think and the way you act and the way you spend your money and the things that you spend your time on should be the things that Christ would be worried about. Is that too far? Is that a little strong? You answered the call. I didn't make you answer it. You, he said, follow me. And you said, okay, Lord, I'm done with my own way. I'm done with my own path. I'll do whatever you want. But hold on, wait, I got this and I got this going on and I got this. Have you lost yourself in the identity of Christ? If you haven't done that, then you haven't fully answered the call. And, and, and uh, again, I don't want to beat you down, but you need to consider whether the things that are competing for him taking over your life are really worth it. We're almost done. I'm going to finish this. You're, you're going to, I just want us all to be like Jesus. I just want us all to be just like him. You know, I, I want to walk like you and talk like you too. Isn't that a song? That's a song. I just want us to be just like Jesus. Because all I know is that the majority of us in here answered the call. He chose you. He said, you're worthy. And you said, okay. And I just, now we just got to look like him and walk like him and talk like him. It makes it, it gives you a little understanding of why Peter uh, wanted to go out onto the water. Because you were to be just like your master and be just where your master was. And so Jesus is, is in the middle of the water and Peter's like, you're my master. I want to go where you are and I want to do what you're doing. Huh? See how the cultural insight makes sense? And so he says, what? what is, do we remember the exact words that Peter used right there? He said, Lord, I want to go where you are. I w- if it is you, bid me be where you are, is the word. And he takes a few steps out. And then he gets scared. And he starts to sink. And then at the end of that whole thing, Jesus says, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Was he simply talking about, Oh man, you started sinking in the water. No, he was... He was saying, Peter, Peter, my brothers and sisters, do you doubt the fact that I can make you like me and bring you where I am at the right hand of majesty? Am I, am I, am I reaching too far? I hope I'm not. Because for me, it clicks. For me, it makes sense. I'm following that Lord. And he's going to bring me to where he is. And he's going to make me like him. He said that. And I can't doubt that no matter how much is going on. No matter how difficult all of this stuff that just keeps coming is, he said, I'm going to be with him. He said, he's going to get me there. And he said, when I get there, I'm going to look just like him. Right? He has the power and the right to make you just like he is. And we'll end tonight with this last little cultural thing. So the culture said, if you got chosen by a rabbi, you go be with that rabbi, right? That's the, you got chosen, man. Hey, imagine getting like picked to be on the Lakers. And then you're like, nah, I don't want a million dollars. I'm good. I'll walk away from that. You don't, you don't say no to the rabbi that chose you. But Jesus, we saw in those verses, it looked like he could have had any rabbi that he wanted, right? They were just like, this kid is amazing. This kid is awesome. But Jesus chooses not 
to follow them. Why not? He chose instead to become a, a technon. I, I was going to touch on this last time. I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the liberty here. So do you know that Jesus maybe like 80% chance he wasn't a carpenter? The word that's used. All right, now you got to start paying attention because you got to see if blasphemy is coming in, right? Okay, so he wasn't a carpenter because, the, well, he may not have been a carpenter. The word that's used is a word called, that's technon, T-E-K. N-O-N. It's a Greek word. But what it literally means is a craftsman. Craftsman. A person who crafts things. Now in the area, how many of you have been to Israel again? Uh, Before all the trees got planted, how many trees are in Israel? Like zero? There's like no trees in Israel. How many rocks are in Israel? Tons of rocks. The area where Jesus lived, the area around Capernaum, was actually a volcanic bed previously. There were huge amounts and deposits of basalt and volcanic rock under the bed. So it would seem like, and there was this guy named Herod. He was building all these roads and cities. You don't build roads and cities with wood. You build it with what? Stone. It is most likely due to the fact that Jesus was a craftsman the abundance of stone and the, uh, the work that was available of the time, it looks like Jesus was probably a stonemason like his father. I may not be right. You guys can check that out for yourself. I want you to. Please, if I'm wrong, prove me wrong. That's what I want you to do. But we diverge. That's off the point. We're almost there. Here we go. Why did Jesus not, why did he choose to become a technon, a craftsman, and not a teacher, or follow under the teachers? Jesus hated the traditions and what the law had become. Well, what the people, what the leader's interpretation of the law had become. Matthew 6, 6 said, Jesus says, pray in secret in your prayer closet. But what the Mishnah taught, was that you were to pray in groups aloud out in public. So you would see these Pharisees out in the streets beating their chests and yelling and saying, God, I'm glad I'm not like these people. I'm awesome. I'm holy. And Jesus was totally against that. Jesus says, anoint your head and your face when you're going to fast. Don't let people know. It's not about people knowing. What the Mishnah taught was that people should know that you're fasting for the glory of God. So look as tired and as sickly and as ugly as you possibly can so that people know how holy you are. It's wrong. It's off the point. Jesus would say, let the dead bury their dead. When the Mishnah gave priority, you drop everything. If there's a dead body, go bury it. Whatever you have to cancel, whatever, you got to go. But it wasn't about... It wasn't about the ritual practice of burying a dead body. It was about doing the things that were most important first. And this is the idea. Jesus wrapped it all up in, G, uh, in Matthew fifteen six. He says this, You make void the word of God with your traditions. This is why Jesus did not become like the teachers of the day. Because what they were doing was destroying the word of God and not fulfilling it. Uh Uh-oh, hold on, cultural thing. What? Remember when Jesus said, I have come to what? Fulfill the law and not destroy it. To disobey, to a Jew, to disobey or not correctly interpret the law was literally to destroy the law 
And Jesus in that verse says, I've come to fulfill the law and not destroy it. Jesus did not become like them. He, he came to be greater than them and then to make us like him. That's why he didn't become like them. Because if, we, if he did what they did and we became like him, then we'd just all be in the same jacked up boat. But what Jesus did was he said, forget your system. Forget your game plan that gets people all mixed up, all messed up. Forget that. I'm not with that. I'm going to do my own thing over here. And then once I've learned how to minister to my people and reach my people, I will show them the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, man. What? This is all off of the culture? Wait, what? Let's end right here. Three points, all right? You must know and believe that Jesus did not come to fit into some plan or some religion. Jesus with something else so that he fits. Jesus came to make a new way, Hebrews teaches us, through his flesh. He perfected a new way through his flesh. Perfection. You must know and understand that he has come to make you like him, perfect in every way. And you must know and believe and understand that he wants to make you perfect, he can make you perfect, and he is calling you to perfection in this very moment. He says, follow me. And I pray that a verse that you've read a million times would give you new understanding tonight. He is calling you to be just like him calling you to deny who you are to become just like him, calling you to leave your, all your, your family and your friends. You understand what I'm saying. Leave all of the other things and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these other things can be added unto you later. Jesus is calling you in this very moment from your mediocrity and whatever idols and things that you have just stored up for yourself. I've got all kinds of stuff. My wife will tell you, sports is a huge idol for me. And I'm like, why am I wasting my life on this stuff? I'm dead serious. Like, I really think about this stuff sometimes after her Holy Spirit conviction comes down. I'm I'm, like, the things that we waste our lives on. When Jesus, the, the master of the universe is saying, I can make you like me and I can reconcile the world back to myself through you. And, and, and I can do it through you. Come, follow me. Just, just come on, follow me. And what choice are we going to make tonight? It's my encouragement to you. What choice are you going to make tonight? Because a lot of people say, all right, I'll follow you. And then they dip out when that thing they want comes in front of them. Let's not be that way. Let's let it be real. Let's let it be sincere. Let's let it be true. And let's just follow after the Lord. With everything. Casting. The, and here's another one. Just real quick. Remember when Paul said, follow me as I follow after him. Remember Paul was a, a what? A Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew this culture as well. He understood what was going on. I'm going to be just like the Lord. And I want everyone else around me to be just like the Lord also. All right? So. 
What are you going to do tonight? Are you going to go back to whatever system or whatever thing that you have, whatever thing that you deserve and is your joy and pride and pleasure, whatever? Or are you going to get serious and follow the Lord because He wants you to follow Him? He wants you to walk on water with Him. He wants you to... He wants, you, he wants to do amazing things with you and through you as you become more like him and follow him. Right? Can I pray on that one? Can I pray and we end it? I'm, I'm dozing off. I'm hot up here. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you would come to make us like you. And God, that you didn't care about our pedigree or how good we were or how smart we were or how wonderful we thought we were, Lord, that you came and said, you need a savior and I am him and I want you to follow me. I'm willing to, I'm willing to take you on. I'll do whatever it takes to make you like me. Thank you, Lord, for your heart for us. Thank you, Lord, that you desire to rip the idols and, and the, the stuff out of our hands so that we will just, just give ourselves to you totally and completely. And that we can be involved in the reconciliation of the world back unto you so that you can receive glory. Because, God, all things were made for your glory. All things were made through and for and by you, God. So help us as we struggle in our flesh and our desires and our lusts and our wants to follow you truly and sincerely. Like those little baby chicks just following the mother hen around. I want to be close to you. <clears throat> and so I just want to pray for us tonight, Lord. If there's any here who, who just have lost that closeness with you, who aren't near to you, who've let stuff get in the way, Lord, I pray that you would meet them. God, that you would draw them close and that they would begin to truly follow you. And for any who, who, who has never answered the call to follow you, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night. That they would come up here, that they would hear your words, that they would feel your spirit drawing them, and that they would come and taste and see that you are real, you are good, you are salvation, and you are life. So, Lord, we just give ourselves to you because you created us, and everything we are is all that you are worthy of. So we love you, Lord. We give this night to you. We give this time to you. Lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.